You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1024 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. Coming to you on a Sunday evening into Monday morning now as I record this. And today's podcast is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the Spotify Greenroom app now and find one of our Locked On rooms. Today's podcast will focus on what became a 113-102 loss for the Hawks in Game 3 against the Bucks. A lot to get to, but at the top of the list is Trey Young, who is now battling an ankle injury that he suffered late in the third quarter. Uh, was not himself when he came back in, and all kinds of information flowing on that at the end of the game. Trey's going to get an MRI on Monday, and uh, that will dictate the rest of the series for him and the Hawks. Obviously a huge loss if he's in any way unable to play or limited in any way. So that's top-line focus in addition to the result of the game. The Hawks led by as many as 15 points in the first half before uh, sort of seeing that lead evaporate. But by halftime, it was tied. And in the, se- in the second half, the Hawks actually did lead Relatively comfortably at, at different points, but it wasn't quite enough. Chris Middleton went crazy in the fourth quarter, and we'll touch on all of that. But uh, now the Hawks have a virtual must-win on Tuesday. Obviously, the series wouldn't be over if they were to lose on Tuesday, but given that Milwaukee has two of the last three at home, you don't want to fall behind 3-1. That's obviously quite obvious. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it, obviously a huge pressure-packed spot on Tuesday. So as always, if you're a new listener to the podcast, we'll dive into the goings-on from this game and some takeaways, some analysis, etc. And then we'll look ahead to Game 4 later on in the show. Um, coming into the game, not a whole lot new to discuss when compared to Game 2, other than obviously it was a blowout in Game 2. Uh, Giannis was actually on the injury report for Milwaukee with a calf issue and ended up playing. Bogdanovich was questionable, ended up playing, and McMillan said after the game that he's actually getting closer health-wise, getting better health-wise. He was not good in this game as a shooter, but some mildly good news for the Hawks that he's getting closer to his normal physical output. Same starters for both sides as well, and the Hawks came into this game, at least according to BetOnline.ag, our friends over there, as four-and-a-half-point underdogs in this spot, even at home. Uh, they did not cover despite leading most of the way, but that's sort of the baseline for what you would expect, um, at least in the betting market, coming into Game 3. Um, at the outset, it was a great start for the Hawks. It was the exact opposite of Game 2 in that regard. Um, Atlanta scored the first seven points in less than two minutes. They actually got a steal and a run-out dunk for Capella in the first possession, and then they drew a charge, traded on Drew Holiday, and then another steal and another Capella dunk, and then Kevin Herter a three. So it was pretty much what you would what you would have wanted out of the out of the gate. They scored the first four possessions. Um, Milwaukee did not score on four possessions in a row, and all seven points were fast break points for the Hawks. Um, wildly, um, the Hawks finished the game with exactly seven fast break points. So the Hawks scored seven fast break points in the first two minutes of the game and never scored in transition again. So that tells you a little bit about what was going on. But the Hawks led it 15-2 to at the outset after a timeout by Milwaukee. It didn't stop them there. Trey made his first two shots, a three. It was very, very deep on the left wing, then a floater. And the Collins did a three. Milwaukee was one of six with three turnovers. And Bogdanovich made his first three. The crowd was getting into it in a big way, chaining um, and sort of counting down loudly on Giannis' free throws. He missed his first two. So it was raucous at State Farm Arena when it was 15-2 at the outset. Milwaukee had some... Pretty bad breakdowns defensively with body Porters at center in particular. Um, there was one where it sort of led to a batting practice free, three from Trey Young, just wide open, full gather, etc. 
and that gave the Hawks their largest lead of the game at 25 to 10. Trey ended up shimmying as he did in the last, in game one, but this time it was after the three rather than before. But again, all things going Atlanta's way at 25 to 10. They were 10 of 14 on the floor and five of eight from three in the in the early going with one turnover, and that was all in the first six seven minutes of this game. So it slipped from there quite obviously. But there was a phantom backcourt violation that was very obviously the wrong call that went against Atlanta. They got, they got out of that with a steal on the next possession, but certainly wanted to point out now, I'll try not to dwell on this too much, but the officiating was quite weird slash bad in this game. I thought the Hawks, you know, I'm not someone who's going to cry foul at the officiating, but I thought the Hawks got the short end of the stick officiating-wise in this game. Some physical contact allowed by Giannis and Brooke Lopez in particular, and some weird no calls, some weird um, sort of, uh, I would say, translation stuff from officials, you know, not giving free throws on shot, etc. It was not great, let's just say. I don't think it was, you know, the reason why the Hawks lost this game. I saw that from some people. After. I understand that. I mean, frustration was certainly high from Hawks fans, and I don't blame anybody for that. It was a weirdly, and I think, poorly officiated game. So, and I think, again, the Hawks got the worst end of that. So, that's frustrating, but I want to just go ahead and say that now. That that was definitely a factor in the uh, in the game and sort of the game flow as it was. Um, rotationally, the Hawks went to Solomon Hill and Gallinari as the first two subs, then came back with Lou Williams and Okongwu alongside Trey late in the first quarter. Akongo actually got 2,000 in a row in his first minute against Giannis. Uh, he struggled in the first half. He was much better in the second half, which we'll come back to later on. But the Hawks, again, leading as many, by as many as 15 points in the first quarter, only up five at the end of the first. And that's with making six threes. There were six of 13 on threes. That's a lot of attempts, and I think people were sort of decrying that after the game, but I thought it was a good thing. There were a couple of settles that the Hawks had offensively, some uh, you know not terrible shots, but not great ones. But in general, getting up, getting up 13 threes in a quarter is a good sign. And Trey had 14 points in the first quarter, despite a couple of uh, settles of his own and letting Bobby Portis off the hook a little bit. He was still very good. Defensively, the Hawks were quite good out of the gate, I thought. It definitely slowed down for the next, you know, two and a half quarters probably after that. But the first six minutes were particularly energetic and good defensively. Uh, the Hill got an argument that did not go well, and there was some transition stuff in there. But the Milwaukee had 20 points in the paint, but they were 0-5 on threes in the first quarter. And uh, all things considered, up five isn't the worst thing, although they should have been up by more. Before we get to the second quarter, today on the road to the NBA Finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. 95 calories with this carb. You can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. All right, the second quarter was interesting in its own right. You know, overall, the Hawks lost a second, but it was definitely a tale of, you know, a couple of different stretches here for Atlanta. They went to the bench um, with Trey off the court to begin the second quarter. That's been their standard rotation recently. It didn't go disastrously because Gallinari and Lou Williams had their best stretch of that point. Um, Gallo hit hit five points, two possessions. They just lost him a couple times in this game. That was one of those. And then Capella had an awesome deflection, I thought, on a pocket pass by Milwaukee. Just read it perfectly, got got the knock, got the uh, the ball knocked away for run out. But Capella was 0 for 4 from the free throw line in the first in the first half, which was not great. They stayed with Lou initially with Young and Collins back in at the five, and this is a problem that I had a couple times, sort of lineup wise in this game. The Hawks had some defensive challenged lineups, we'll say, just to be fair. Uh, this one was Young Lou. Bogdanovich, Gallinari, and Collins, and they stayed with Lou longer than I would have generally in this game, uh, and that was one of those moments where they just had no chance to stop them, basically, at least in the, in the broad sense with that with that group. I thought Gallinari's defense was a problem throughout the evening. Um, I would say, fortunately, he did have it going offensively for the most part, had 18 points on 14 shots. We'll come back to that later on, but I thought defensively it was a mess, but he, he did have nine points in the first 10 minutes, which kind of uh, offset that. But Collins was in foul trouble pretty much throughout the game. He got his third with three and a half minutes to go in the first half. 
And uh, I thought that was a pretty soft call against Giannis. Um, Giannis had a couple of soft ones in this game. And by the way, he airballed he airballed a free throw after that after that foul by Collins. I thought Solomon Hill struggled uh, for the most part in this game. He, he did have one big um, play on the offensive glass, beating Porus to a loose ball, and that led to Trey hitting a deep three to go back up by seven. And the Hawks um, also benefited from the Bucks losing Kevin Herter late in the first. And it, Herter made a three to put the Hawks up by ten with 2.40 to go in the first half. That's a one That's one that I wanted to mark right now. Again, up 10, 2.40 to go in the first half. And the rest of the half was a 10-0 run by Milwaukee in the final two and a half minutes. Um, Gallinari had a pretty bad miss in an open three. The Hawks were 0 for 4 with a turnover. And then defensively, there were a couple of breakdowns along the way. So after all that, up 15, and then again, up 10 with 2.40 to go in the half, they go into the break tie. And that did not feel great, quite honestly. The Hawks did enough offensively. They turned the ball over only three times. That was pretty good. They still did a few times, but got some pretty good looks. Free throws, though, were not um, their friend. Only took four, and it was all Capella, and he was 0-4. So that's something to circle on the officiating train, in, in addition to the Hawks settling a little bit too much offensively, was that the free throw line was not their friend in the first half. I thought defensively, they let up a lot after that first stint. Milwaukee had 34 points in the paint, and they were only 3-14 from three, or it might have been a little bit worse. But um, defensive rebounding was a problem throughout the game. And then Gallinari, again, I mentioned it before, but his defense was quite bad, I thought, in the first half. He was not alone, but uh, he, he stood out to me in a couple different ways. Uh, before we get to the second half... And much, much more on the podcast today. A word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is Built Bar. Built Bar is wonderful, as I always say on the podcast, but what is your favorite Built Bar flavor? Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, plus the occasional limited time flavor? And when you talk about Built Bar, it's always a passionate thing for people that really enjoy their own flavors. And if you don't know the flavors, you're really missing out. It's coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, and many more. There's something for everyone in my favorite flavor right now anyway. I have many favorites, to be honest with you. But right now, I'm really loving the peanut butter brownie. That's just one that I'm really enjoying. I like to dive into that as much as possible. I always uh, talk about how much I enjoy Built Bar, and that is the one that I am diving into at this moment in time. If you haven't tried the flavors, though, get a mixed box right now where you get two of each of the nine available flavors at this moment in time. And not only are the Built Bar flavors fantastic, they're also very healthy. Most flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, only 4 grams of net carbs, and a couple others have even more protein if you enjoy that kind of thing. Order today, get that raspberry, mint brownie, or whatever you would like, and if you do it in the near future, you go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, 15% off your first order with Built Bar. Use promo code LOCKED15, 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, and we'll have the second half now. And after halftime, things started very well, actually. A 9-2 run by the Hawks out of the gate to go up by 7. Trey hit a corner 3 after they lost him again. Milwaukee had a bunch of breakdowns, but the Hawks just had, you know, 10 feet or more of space. Just bizarre breakdowns, but it worked out for the Hawks. In that way, though, but a storyline that I wanted to make sure I mentioned a little bit is that John Collins got his fourth foul with 11 minutes to go in the third quarter. He came out right away, and that foul was another questionable one for Collins. It was called an offensive foul. It might have been a foul by the letter of the law, but I don't like that call in that spot, particularly given the time and score. But just not one that I like in that playoff setting. It was he sort of uses off arm, but you know, not a, not my favorite call. Let's just say. And from there, I thought he sat way too long we'll come back to that later on but he sat for like 15 straight minutes which is just a lot and I'll just say this now he finished with four fouls so he came back in the fourth he was fresh at that point in time but I thought um in general I don't like auto benching particularly key players and I thought McMillan did not maximize the minutes for John Collins by not playing him for that long at any rate um they actually missed a call the refs did again on a what should have been a basket interference call on on the Bucks on a three 
there were a couple that want the Hawks way too. There was one phantom call that Trey drew that was kind of a funny one on a floater. But again, a couple of just weird ones. That basket interference call, I don't think it was reviewable once it happened, but the bench went crazy right away. And, uh, you know, on replay, it looked like it was going to be basket interference. I just didn't call it. Um, Trey, though, had 11 points in the first five minutes of the second half. He was cooking three-point play. That was actually the first non-Capella free throw attempt of the entire game for the Hawks was that three-point play by by, by Trey. They're up five at the, at the mid-quarter timeout. But at that point, they were really hot as a shooting team. Um, 54, 54% from the floor, including 58% on twos, and they were 48% on threes, 12 of 25. So they were shooting probably a little bit hotter than you would, would, would expect to sustain. Trey had 28 points and five threes with six minutes to go in the third quarter. So, you know, they were cooking offensively and feeling pretty good about themselves. Trey, uh, actually, Kevin Herter had a three uh, a few minutes later to go back up by six, and that w- that ended up being the Hawks' biggest lead the remainder of the game, basically, was six. Um, and then they went to Lou after that. It was Hill first as a perimeter sub in the third quarter, and then Lou after that. But a 10-2 run by Milwaukee late in the third to take their first lead of the game. So Milwaukee hadn't led the entire game until late in the third. Um, and they've been pretty cold from three, but then Portis and Giannis hit two in a row. The Hawks did score five in a row after that, after Trey uh, drew a foul and Gallo had a three. But then um, one of the bigger moments of the game, when Trey steps on an official's foot and then goes down in the final minute of the, fir- of the third quarter. You know, I saw some Hawks fans thinking this was like intentional. That's, that's obviously not true. Was it stupid by the official? Certainly. Uh, he did not give Trey very much room. Uh, definitely a freak accident on some level, but man, that, was, uh, that is maddening for the Hawks, to be sure. Trey goes to the locker room. I pointed this out in real time that, you know, him going to the locker room was obviously ominous, but also it was time for him to sit anyway. This is the final minute. He's about to come out of the game. So it was a little bit less scary in that moment, not not having noticed that he was even obviously in some pretty significant pain. But he goes to the locker room. They announce moments later that he was available to return with a right ankle sprain is the way they called it. And then he came back to the bench to an applause, all that stuff. But he ended up playing... You know, he wasn't himself, but, you know, goes without saying, this is a huge impact. We'll come back to it later on in the podcast, but it's just brutal on every level that Trey will, you know, at least be somewhat hampered. I can't imagine he'll be 100% in game four, and he wasn't 100% in the fourth quarter of this game, and I'm not sure the Hawks won it anyway, but it certainly was a big factor the rest of the way. So that's maddening and uh, one of the bigger stories moving on from this game. The Hawks up by two, though, at the end of the third quarter. They were able to hang on at the end of the period. I thought it was a good quarter overall for Atlanta. You know, they, they sort of dodged some bullets, etc. Um, in the fourth, they go to Lou, Bogdanovich, Herter, Gallinari, and Akongwu to open the fourth quarter. Gallinari was very, very mad about a call that he wanted. Uh, he was incensed. I actually thought that the referees probably knew they blew it because Gallo went so crazy that it probably should have been a technical foul. Like he went nuts for a long time. And I think that's one of those times where, where a good official, at least a reasonable official, is going to swallow their whistle on the tee because they know they missed the call. Felt that way in the moment. Uh, but then Herter, Herter, hit, Herter hits a floater. Hawks get a steal, and then Lou hits a Congo for a pretty big dunk, and the Hawks are up by five. And they're kind of feeling it a little bit early in the fourth, even with Trey on the bench. In fact, Trey came back in with 8.44 left, and they were plus three in the stint without him, which is, you know, that felt pretty good to me at that moment in time. Now, we didn't know that Trey was going to be as limited as he was, but up five there after a good stint, the Hawks are in pretty good position. They finally, finally, finally bring Collins back after he sat for, again, almost 15 minutes of real time. He came back for Gallinari because Kong was, was playing very, very well in that stretch. In fact, he had three... Awesome defensive plays in pretty short order against Giannis. He had a couple of blocks, um, a couple of deflections, and then he actually had a nice short roll floater to put the Hawks up by seven with seven minutes to go. So I guess that was their biggest lead. I mentioned it was six before. I guess it was seven briefly. Uh, but on the next on the next three possessions, it was an 8-0 run by Milwaukee in about a minute, basically, to go from down seven to up one for the Bucks. 
Middleton hits two threes. He was obviously unconscious from that point forward. And then Lou gave up a pretty bad turnover for a layup. That was a bad stretch by him. Trey then did answer that with a three, but then Middleton just kept coming. Another jumper, and then Trey missed again, and then Middleton hits another three. So Middleton had 11 points in less than two minutes, and it was almost 12. Um, The fourth three was not a three. It was actually a foot on the line, so it was only 11 points. But, man, a wild run for Middleton, who's capable of this, but it was a little bit unlucky, obviously, for the Hawks to give up that kind of shooting display from Middleton. And a lot of that stretch, Kevin Herb was at the scorer's table, and that's brutal because Lou Williams kind of killed them in that run, and Herter's the best defender on the wing right now that's available, um, at least that's available in playing. So that ended up being uh, kind of unlucky and also kind of unfortunate that Lou was out there for so long. But then that gave the Bucks a three-point lead with 5.05 to go, and that was when they called timeout, and that was sort of the final sort of you know circle this point in time for the stretch run. So uh, I won't fly through the entire play-by-play, but they brought in the starters except for Gallinari for a capella, which I did not like at that moment in time. And I said as much, but the Hawks, particularly with how Gallo was defending, I thought they could not afford to have him out there, especially with Trey limited. I guess the counterpoint would be the offensively that you probably needed Gallo, but at the same time, they're only down by three, and it felt like they needed Capella out there at that moment in time. They didn't do that. Trey missed a floater, wanted to call, didn't get it. Uh, Middleton finally missed one, but of course, the Bucs got an offensive rebound, and Giannis scores to go up by five. Um, actually, Collins got a nice offensive rebound on the next possession to sort of stop the bleeding a little bit. He was, by the way, the only guy who scored in the final six minutes was John Collins. Um, Middleton then scored. Bogey missed a three. And then the Bucks called timeout up five. Their user loses a timeout with five, uh, sorry, with 321 to go up by five. And then they stay with Gallinari again on defense after a timeout, which that also surprised me. I didn't really like that because that was a big possession. You, you have to get a stop there. It's a big, it's a big spot. Um, Middleton, though, it wasn't Gallo's fault, just to be fair. Um, Middleton hits a contested jump shot, just makes another one, another great shot by him. Collins turns it over. They actually got a pretty big stop on the next possession. I thought it was going to be teetering in a big way. Middleton finally missed one sort of on a floater. But then Herter missed a good look in transition. Um, the Hawks actually, I thought it was shades of the Philadelphia series when the Hawks had those two possessions um, late. Uh, the one where I thought one of the big shots of the series actually down by four and also the offensive rebounds and then hit a three against Philadelphia. This time, the Hawks get two offensive rebounds in a row, but then it's a good look for Trey. He just misses. So um, no big swing moment there towards Atlanta. And then I would have considered hacking Giannis at that point in time. You can't do it off the ball under two minutes, but anytime he touched it, down seven, down nine, it's probably your best chance. They didn't do it the first time. He had a tough fadeaway to go up by nine. They actually did turn it over on the next possession, and Herter, I think, smartly fouled Giannis on purpose when he got the rebound. He made one of two, but at that point, you're down by 10 with 132 to go, and that's you know that's basically it. Collins did score on the next possession, and that stopped a stretch with two points in four and a half minutes for Atlanta, and then Middleton, after a stoppage, hits another jumper that basically put the game away. So, you know, it just was a, it was a tale of not scoring and not being able to stop Chris Middleton in the fourth quarter. Um, oh. Overall in the fourth, before we get to a break and some more takeaways, but overall in the fourth quarter, the Hawks scored four points in the final six minutes, all Collins. They scored 17 points in the fourth quarter on 7 of 18 from the floor and 1 of 8 from three. Just So, obviously, this, one of the big national stories that I was seeing, and I think justifiably so, was Middleton going crazy, and he definitely did. But for me, it was an offensive collapse in the fourth quarter, um, particularly in the last six minutes. You just can't win if you're going to score four points in the last six minutes. That's not going to work out very well for you in a close game. Um, and Milton did, did have 20 in the fourth quarter on a lot of tough looks. Honestly, defensively, it was not as bad as that 
but uh, he's a shot maker, and you know, he was as bad as he was in Game One. He made up for it in Game Three for the Bucks. So before we get to the rest of the podcast and some overall observations and some thoughts that I have on this game and the rest of the series, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the easiest and the fastest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is definitely here and in full swing. You track all the action at BetOnline.ag. Plus, in addition to baseball, the NBA playoffs are here, as you're listening to all the time on this podcast. And uh, beyond that, all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs. Of course, you have MLB and NBA, and you have NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment bets, all that you can think of. It's all there at BetOnline.ag. Before the next pitch or dribble, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop and mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information that you can find all in one place. Posted on the sidelines anymore, this is your chance to get into the game and get in on the action. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag. That's a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code LOCKEDON. The promo code, one more time, is LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus with the site on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, and we'll end the podcast with some observations and some takeaways from this game. And you could boil it down if you wanted to, to Chris Middleton going crazy and Trey not being himself in the fourth quarter because of the injury, etc. But there's some nuance to this stuff, as always. And the Bucs scored more than 1.2 points per possession in the game. A lot of that, though, was their offensive rebounding. Milwaukee didn't shoot it, like, ridiculously well in this game. Uh, they shot it well enough, but nothing out of the ordinary in terms of their efficiency. They were low 29 from three. Um, that's not incredible. In fact, they were pretty cold early. They got hot late because of Middleton. But offensive rebounding-wise, they grabbed about 35% of their own misses. 15 offensive rebounds in the game for Milwaukee. That's just, like, that's just too much. The Hawks got killed in the glass, and that hurt them. In this game, Milwaukee ended up taking four more shots and five more free throws than the Hawks. That's a bad um, mathematical situation for Atlanta. Um, to the Hawks' credit, they actually held Milwaukee to 22 points in the paint in the second half, which is not a great figure, but that's much, much better than they've been in any other half so far in this series. I guess the downside of that is that Middleton's jump shooting was kind of all they needed to have in that spot, but the Hawks did hold Milwaukee to their fewest points in the paint in the series. Still 56, that's still, that's still way too many, but it's better than 70. It's better than 62, as it was in Game 2. And the Bucks were pretty human at the rim, actually. They were 22 of 36 at the rim, which is not a great percentage, especially for Milwaukee at a team like that. They have actually missed a bunch of bunnies in this game. Uh, I made a joke that actually wasn't a joke on Twitter that P.J. Tucker has got to be the worst finisher in the league among big men, and he is very bad. But even Giannis missed, missed, missed some bunnies, so did Brooke Lopez, etc., um, Milwaukee, by the way, was not good at the free throw line. Neither team was. In fact, the Hawks were 9 of 16 at the free throw line, and that actually was pretty much a dead heat with Milwaukee being 12 of 21. So not great on either side, but still too many, uh, not, not too many free throw attempts, I should say, for the Hawks. Even with the barrage, the Hawks did make more threes than the Bucks, and actually made them at a higher clip. So Atlanta was 15 of, 15 of 37, and they cooled off. They were hotter than that early on, but 15 to 37, you can't actually ask for much more than that. That's 41% from, the, from three. That's a lot. I mean, Bogey was two of 10, but everybody else shot the ball reasonably well in this game. Whereas Milwaukee, again, was th- was decent enough, but they were not great from three. Turnover battle, dead even, 12 to 12. And this is going to be controversial, maybe. I think the Hawks defensively were pretty good in the fourth quarter. If you watch the game back, there's not a whole lot of breakdowns happening. It was not like the Hawks have been much, much worse in this series than they were in the fourth quarter defensively. In fact, I would argue that was one of their better quarters, if not their best quarter in the entire series 
defensively. Because even when they had some success in game one, it was a lot of that was the Bucks missing some shots. Um, but the problem is Chris Middleton is big and physical and a good shot maker, and the Hawks just could not slow him down. So, you know, this is the NBA. You, you don't get credit for just contesting. You have to get stops, and part of that's Middleton just overriding things. But I think it was not exactly a Hawks defensive breakdown in the fourth quarter. It was the offense at the end of the day. Um, in the game, offensively, the Hawks were generally fine. I think the fourth quarter... The wheels came off. They scored 17 points. Uh, Trey was definitely limited by the ankle. Only had three points, by the way, in the fourth after having 35 in the first three quarters. That kind of tells you a little bit about what was happening there. Uh, sorry, after 32 in the first three quarters. Um, they missed They missed some good looks, though. They had some good open threes, some relatively you know in-rhythm shots. It just didn't go down in the fourth quarter. But for the game, 12 of 19 at the rim. That's a low number of attempts and a low percentage. So that's going to have to get cleaned up. You know, Part of that's Capella's not a great finisher. Um, he was not, you know, the most efficient. It was four of seven. Was not that's not terrible, but uh, not a whole lot of finishing around the rim from the Hawks in this game, aside from you know Kong Wu and, and a couple for Collins. Um, I didn't love McMillan in this game. A couple different things. I will credit him because defensively, again, I think he did a pretty good job with some adjustments. I think the, I think the Hawks were better defensively in this game than they have been at parts of the series. Definitely better than they were in Game Two, but even even in the fourth quarter, they were pretty much sound. But I hated the fact that he fouled Collins out. Um, basically with his own decision-making. Collins ending the game with four fouls is frustrating. I thought Herter sat for too long in the second half and it didn't play enough minutes. Um, I didn't love the Solomon Hill deployment, etc. So there's different things. I don't think he was a disaster. I saw some people that were really very upset with McMillan, and I, th- I don't think it was as bad as that, but there were some moments that he, I didn't love in this game from Nate. Um, a good moment, good time now to get to some individual stuff on the podcast. So we'll wrap up with this. Uh Four guys, it was a nine-man rotation for the Hawks. That's that's been their typical brand so far in this series. Um, we'll start with Solomon Hill. Fifteen minutes, no shot attempts, three fouls, two rebounds, did not score, minus fourteen. So one of the big themes of my mentions during and after the game was the fact that McMillan went with Solomon Hill instead of Cam Reddish. So, full context. Uh, pre-game, McMillan was asked about Reddish, and he said, "I'm going to quote him now." Quote. He's available, but we'll pretty much stay with our rotation that, we, that we've been playing, end quote. I tweeted that out to warn people that was going to be the case. Now, McMillan could have been lying. That's always the case. I mean, coaches can always be obstructionists, but in this game, he stuck to that. Um, as I've said a number of times, I think it is defensible not to play Reddish in a vacuum because he's not played in so long, and offensively, he was struggling before he got, the, before he got injured, etc. I also acknowledge that Solomon having to play Solomon Hill is not great right now. I have been a supporter of Solomon Hills this season. I think he's added some value for the Hawks as a rotation guy when they had to have some depth and had tons of injuries, but he's not being guarded is the big thing. I think defensively, some of his foibles have been overblown to some extent. He's a good team defender generally. He was not good in this game. I'll point that out. A couple nice plays, but that was kind of it. He was, he was bad. No argument here. My thing is, my overarching point is that the Hawks are just a wing short right now, unfortunately. And that wing is DeAndre Hunter, of course. But I tweeted during the game, just kind of offhand, like, look, the Hawks pretty much used DeAndre Hunter right now, which is very obvious, but the Hawks are just one guy short. If you think it's Cam, I totally get that. And honestly, I would not be bothered at all if if, if Millen tried Reddish. My point on Reddish has been that I think it's that's a, that's a high-variance decision. I think Cam's upside is quite clearly higher than Solomon Hill's. I think defensively, um, he's a guy who can maybe bother Chris Middleton, for instance. Um, offensively, you don't know what you're going to get, and he's been, he hasn't played in so long. But I think now, especially especially down 2-1 in the series, no longer having home court, um, variance could be a good thing. And 
this is a reasonable argument that you could argue that Solomon Hill is not giving you much anyway, so why not try Cam? I totally get that. It's a very logical argument that people have been giving, and I'm not really in a position to argue with you. My one point would be that Cam is not going to necessarily save you. Um, maybe he will. I mean, he's capable. We've seen him have huge games and huge halves at times in the past. I think people are probably ex- uh, assuming too much of Cam right now after four months off. But my general overarching point is that the Hawks are just kind of one guy short. And while Bogdanovich did play a lot in this game, it's conceivable to me if they didn't have injury, sorry, not uh, injury, but foul trouble with Collins in this game, they could have gone with eight guys and not played Solomon Hill. It is doable to do that. And honestly, that is probably the solution that a lot of coaches would go to at this point in time. McMillan has not been willing to do that. He's not been willing to sort of trim the rotation. But if you do the math, it is possible to at least get to like an eight-man rotation, particularly with how much Nate's been willing to play Lou with Trey in the playoffs. And he has been, he's been doing that quite a lot in these games. If that's an option, you can get by with eight. Um, I don't know if he'll try it. Maybe he will in game four with urgency and all that stuff. But... Long story short, I don't have great answers for you on why he won't play Reddish. Nate's not going to tell anybody anything on his decisions. He does not like to share information like that. So all I'll say is that Reddish seems to be available. He hasn't played in four months, and McMillan doesn't seem to trust him. So that's where we are right now. But Solomon Hill was not good in this game. He's, he's been he's been better at times. He was better than this in game one. But uh, game three, not his best. Lou Williams, also not his best. Uh, he, he had one big shot in the first half. Had a couple nice passes as well. But defensively, he was not particularly effective didn't have three assists but I don't there's, there's a reason I don't love the Trey Lou minute, Trey Lou minutes because defensively you're just in some peril and while I understand playing Lou more because of how short they're on the wing it's not great and I think that's something I've been trying to say for out throughout the uh, season uh a Kong Wu I thought was a big plus in the second half first half not as much second half defensively on Giannis he bothered him had four points uh two rebounds and he had, had a steal and a block he was minus 10 but that really wasn't on him I thought, again, it's it, it remains encouraging to me the way that he's been playing in the playoffs as a rookie who was not playing early on in the season, all that stuff. There's time to reflect on that, but I think in general he was a positive in this game despite the despite the minus 10 plus minus. And then Gallinari. Um, 36 minutes for Gallo. You know, that, that's in part because of Collins having the foul trouble. And one thing I'll point out now also is that they have not gone to Gallo at the three. At least they didn't do that at all tonight. Um, when Gallo was playing, he was either playing with the starters um, or playing with Solo at the three. So that's interesting to me that they have not tried the Gallinari, Collins, Capella lineup more. But part of that was because of Collins' foul trouble tonight. But it's a weird evaluation with Gallinari. Offensively, he definitely helped them in this game. 18 points on 14 shots. Um, he was efficient enough, had four rebounds, death three turnovers, which is not great, but you see the isolation scoring that he has, the floor spacing that he has. He brings value offensively. The problem is, I could argue, and I might even argue this, that he might have given it all back or more defensively. That's how bad he was in this game. And in the entire series, he can't get back on defense in transition. This has been the question with Gallo throughout, but particularly in this series, they've been picking on him effectively enough to where, don't get me wrong, they have to play him because they don't have anybody else. But it is a problem defensively. He's been a problem in all three games. Um, and you just you have to hope that his offense carries enough to make him playable. And he's trying, but uh it's a it's a question mark. And this is not only him, but he was he was he was a game worst minus 18 in this game, and I think that's at least somewhat earned by his defense because it was uh, a bit of an adventure. But he was it was offensively important at times. All right, to so these starters in this game. More of a mixed bag here than it has been at times. Uh Bogdanovich. 
positively, we'll say McMillan pointed this out, but he's talked about how he was um, better physically. I think he looked better physically in this game as well. Uh, sort of backup Nate's takeaways there. I think defensively, he looked better in this game, more physical, a little bit quicker side to side, had three steals. He was active, but offensively, you know, he just doesn't have a jump shot right now. Uh, he shot it better in game two, actually, in a short sample size in a bad game for everybody. But three of 16 from the floor, including one of six on twos, and then two of 10 from three. Uh, it's just hard for Bogdanovich to make an impact when he's not making shots like that. And again, there's not really a solution. I saw some people calling for less Bogdanovich. There's just not, there's nothing you can do. I mean, g- given that he's able to move better now, at least, at least in this game he was, you have to keep playing him and hope he makes shots because Bogdanovich is a lot better than your other options. We're, we're doing this whole conversation about Solomon Hill. Um, Bogdanovich, if he can play physically and run, he's going to be playing 35 minutes a game. That's that's going to happen in the rest of the series if he's able to do so. So you got to figure, you got to cross your fingers, hope, hope he makes shots. But he was the only guy on the team, honestly, that did not shoot well in this game. At least, at least did not shoot even decently in this game. So that's the trade-off. You know, you would expect somebody to not shoot well, and, and tonight it was Bogdanovich, but it was definitely glaring at three of sixteen, a couple of big misses along the way. Uh, Kevin Herter, I thought was I thought was good in this game. Eleven points, seven assists, four rebounds. Three blocks for Herter, and uh, I will I will send this to uh, Glenn Willis as a hat tip. Kevin Herter is like top five in the NBA playoffs in block shots, which is just an outrageous stat, but it's true. Part of that's playing more games, but still, uh, he's up there for blocks per game too. Like he's been he's been crazy in that area. But I thought he was good. In fact, the Hawks were plus nine in his minutes in uh, what became an eleven point loss. So the Hawks were minus twenty with Herter off the court in about ten minutes in this game. There's a little bit of noise in there, but he was by far. Their best wing in this game. Not close. Uh, defensively, he's their best option against Middleton and Holiday. Uh, offensively, he's been their best wing uh, in the entire playoffs, honestly, after what Donovich has uh, cooled off. So Herter is just like invaluable. And honestly, they didn't play him enough. I, I said this earlier, but I'll just say it one more time. 37 minutes is a lot, but Herter might have to play 42 in this series. Like Whatever the max number that Herter can play without imploding is where he needs to be at this point. That's not that's unfortunate, but we're in the, you're in the playoffs. And... There's so much, there's so little around him that he's going to have to play a lot. And I thought he played not even enough in this game. Um, Click Capella, I thought was good defensively. Uh, eight points, 11 rebounds, a steal, a block, two assists, plus 11. I thought he was uh, one of the brighter spots. Other than the free throw shooting, I thought he was pretty good and should have played more. As I said before, I think I would have gone with Gallo down the stretch when they went with Gallo. Uh, no, sorry, would have gone with Capella instead of Gallinari down the stretch. And uh, I don't like want to rant and rave about that, but I think he was one of the better players in this game. Collins, I thought was pretty good when he played. 13 points, 8 rebounds. Um, did have 5 fouls in 23 minutes. Didn't have a huge um, amount of, you know, rhythm in this game. Missed both of his free throws, which is not great. But I thought he was a general positive when he played, and I, I just wish that McMillan had gone back to him sooner. You know, I, I get it that you don't want to foul a guy out, but um, frustrating, to be sure, to not maximize that. And I will, uh, that's, a, that's a right for, for another day. And then Trey Young. Uh, Trey was awesome for three quarters in this game. 35 points, 4 assists, and a steal. Um, four turnovers is totally fine for him given his usage. He ended up he ended up being minus thirteen because of the fourth quarter. Um, but twelve twenty three from the floor, six of fourteen from three, five of six from the free throw line. He was awesome. I mean, if there's one sort of nitpick, you could say that he didn't have a great passing game for him. A couple of iffy looks, but he had it going offensively. And the fourth quarter, you know, he just wasn't himself physically. You could see that he couldn't really attack with the same fervor. Um, fingers crossed that he's healthy for Game Four, not only for the Hawks but just for him in general. But he's having a heck of a playoffs. He was he was again brilliant in this game. Um, he settled maybe a couple times that I wouldn't have against Bobby Portis in isolation, but 
other than that, uh, no, nothing you can really say about Trey Young other than he was awesome through three quarters and then just wasn't quite his, himself physically. And I thought it was notable after the game, unfortunately for Hawks fans, that Trey usually is just like, I'll be fine, I'll play. And he kind of didn't say that. He admitted pretty openly that he's going to be sore. He's going he's to have an MRI on Monday. Um, I think that Trey Young will play if he's in any way capable of playing. He is someone who is very tough, bounces back quickly. He's a quick healer. He had the ankle injury earlier this season in April that looked like it might be a long-term injury, and then he was back within like a week. So Trey Young is resilient, but he didn't seem thrilled after the game. And at the very least, it would be a shock to everyone if he was just 100% by Tuesday. It's a quick turnaround on the one day off. They're playing in 45 hours or so from the time I'm recording this. So we'll see what they get. But he'll he'll play if he can, uh, but they need him. And they, obviously they're in some deep trouble if he can't play. Um, you would have to go, I'm going to do a whole podcast on this, but you'd have to go to Lou Williams for 30-plus. I'm not even sure what they would do. Uh, do you do you pull out Skylar Mays? I mean, there's there's questions about it on that, and hopefully that's not going to be a problem and he can play. But we'll know a little bit more when the injury, com- when the injury report comes out on Monday evening. Um, but yeah, stay tuned for that. But hopefully he'll be back to his old self. And he was once again, awesome in this game, keeping the Hawks in- involved until he uh, had the ankle injury that was unfortunate at the end of the third quarter. Okay. That'll be it for in, ter- in terms of the takeaways. Just broadly speaking though, you know, game four, Tuesday night, eight 30 in Atlanta. It's a virtual must win. Again, the series is not over if they lose, but, but the Hawks need, need to win game four. I mean, that's not breaking any news here. But if you go down 3-1 and have to go to Milwaukee two more times, you are fighting a very, very uphill battle. Um, The Hawks will be underdogs. They already were before tonight in terms of the betting market. But I'm confident our friends at Battleline will have the Hawks as a pretty significant underdog in the series now that Milwaukee has home court again. Um, But that just puts pressure on Game 4. I mean, if the Hawks win Game 4, it's a new series. They they did trail 2-1 against Philadelphia, the exact same spot. They lost Game 3 at home. They They had, you know, more games left in Philadelphia. But they came back and won it. So we'll see what happens. Game four is a huge one. I'm not breaking any news there. I might have a podcast between between now and then. Hopefully that's going to be transpiring. But uh, if nothing else, please subscribe to the show. We'll have much more content on this. And this is a, this is a game that the Hawks had. Uh, it was winnable for Atlanta, despite not playing incredibly well in some aspects. This is a winnable game. So game two felt weird. I know for everybody, they got they got blitzed, they got handled. But this is a bounce back, and they were in this game in the fourth quarter. So there's some optimism stuff, particularly if Trey is able to go and at least be a reasonable facsimile of himself in game four. All right. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at BT Rowland. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. And we'll see you next time.